continuing on in, in the book of First Peter, again chapter one, uh, looking mainly well, going to complete verses four and five this morning by God's grace. But I'll start by reading this morning First Peter chapter one. And I guess we'll read verse three through five, which is the context. First Peter one three says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, there's, there's here just a, a tremendously great statement, if you will. Uh, it's a sweeping statement. By, by the Apostle Peter um, in regard to the wonder of salvation. And, and the key word of, of, in this little paragraph here, this portion of Scripture is in verse 4, it's the word inheritance. And, and inheritance is defined as in, in, in verse 5 as, as a uh, salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, this section really calls for us to bless God for our eternal salvation. And that, that's really the heart of worship. I mean, blessing God, adoring God for our eternal inheritance as we just sing the songs, Hallelujah's Done. And uh, that's really why we come together. And, and uh, that's why we're here on the Lord's Day, and that's why we worship. Um, and, and that's why we're praising and thanking God for our eternal salvation. It's important that Peter start out this way in writing this epistle because he's writing to the scattered Christians, remember there in, in verse 1, who are persecuted. They've been blamed for the burning of Rome and a tremendous rejection of Christianity at this particular time, uh, tremendous hostility towards individual believers. And uh, they're being blamed for a massive holocaust in the city. We should get ready for persecution too, by the way. It's coming for us. But these brothers had it. We've never experienced it or seen it. Like we, we need to get prepared. But they, again, they've been blamed for burning Rome, and, and uh, it, it was a massive holocaust in the city of Rome caused by the fires. Uh, it was a very hard time uh, for the believers. Yet in the middle of it, Peter says, your focus is to get off the problem, off your problem, um, and, and, and get your focus onto God. Stop looking at what's going on around you and, and start looking at who's in charge above that, namely God. And, and so in writing to these persecuted, I believe battered Christians, you know, hostilely treated Christians, uh, he, he calls for praise, he calls for adoration to be given to God. And instead of starting out by saying, I want, you to, I want to give you sympathy, oh, you poor dears, I understand your plight. And a kind of a woe is me approach to the to the brothers and sisters. He he starts out by by, by calling believers to praise God, and and it's a tremendously important thing that is. It's in the midst of adversity, in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulation, uh, trouble, persecution, hostility, disappointment, anxiety, to be able to learn to praise God and to adore God in the middle of that. And if anything, if if, if things down here are falling apart. We can be confident things up there are absolutely secure. 
And, and so while we, we may not be the friend of the world, we are the child of God or his child. And while the world may reject us, God never will. And, and while we may be losing our earthly inheritance, our, our eternal one is absolutely secure. And so, so, you know, get your focus where it belongs. And that's Peter's message here as he starts the epistle. And, and, and the whole idea is, is this hymn of praise, if you will, lift, lift their souls from the difficulty of the present that they have to the adoration of the greatness of our God. And, and what he focuses on them on is our eternal salvation. He calls, for their, he calls it their inheritance. That's our, we have an inheritance. And, and it, it's, it's salvation, he says in verse 5, which is ready to be revealed in the last time, or last season. In other words, it's, it's the fullness of the final sal- salvation of, of, of body, soul, and when we're in the presence of Christ and with salvation they have and we have now we have that salvation but only a taste of it and 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 he says get your focus on the eternal glory that's to come and 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 when jesus we see that i mean that that's the cause for his praise and that's what he he caught what caused him to say blessed be the god and 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 father and that's a call to praise a call to worship bless bless god uh, I call the adoration to God who has granted us salvation uh, in the church of, of, of Jesus Christ, not, not the one of Latter-day Saints, but the current-day Saints, um, the ones that know the Lord as their Savior. This really should be our ringing theme. Uh, I mean, I, I just it, it kind of, it's, it's appalling when I look at my own heart and, uh, and, 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 and the heart of God's people around, you know, See how indifferent we really are about our salvation. And it's kind of a ho-hum, you know, can become like. And, uh, and, and I, mean, I mean, do we realize that we will spend all eternity forever and ever and ever and unending? Uh, uh, and the occupation of all that eternity will be to praise God for your eternal salvation. And, and we will do it. The angels will do it in behalf of what God's done for us and, and the redeemed of all ages forever and ever and ever and ever will exalt and, and, and rejoice and be glad and praise the living God for the glories and wonders of salvation that, that will occupy us forever and ever and ever and we'll, it'll, we'll never grow weary of it. I mean, I mean our, our rejoicing will never be diminished and yet here on earth when we think about it, it's like a, oh, okay, well, uh, we're so familiar with it. Uh, it's really a commentary on the fallenness of our souls, really. It's a commentary on that, and, and it's a commentary on our sinfulness, and, and that, that we would even need to be exhorted to glorify God. I mean, on, 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 for our salvation, that, you know, that we we would need to be instructed to bless God for an eternal inheritance. It speaks to us of the, I believe, the ugliness, if you will, of our of our fallen condition, and it's it's and and uh, that that's you know the fact that it's not the occupation of our heart incessantly all the time. I think of uh, you know nature and the animals and, and uh, my wife with her turkeys and chickens and things. All her birds appreciate her. They adore her. She feeds them and they follow her around. They love her. Uh, all the time looking, where is she doing? What's she doing? And that's you know God provides everything. We don't do that. We're like okay, okay. I have eternal salvation. Oh, it'll be revealed someday. 
I mean, how, how is it we can get to, to the place where we take it for granted, you know, and, and how is it we can, we can come to the place where we no longer occupy ourselves with the constant praising of God for redeeming us, like we did the first hours we got saved. If you remember the first hours you got saved, after our conversion, how, how can we grow stale on something we'll, that, that, we'll, that we'll do forever and ever and, 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 and doing in a perfected state? And the answer is because we're still in an imperfect state. That's the answer. That's how we can do it. We're, in, we're imperfect. It's our fallenness that makes us treat this reality with indifference and apathy. It may be that Peter somehow this morning in this hour of worship calls us to a little bit of, of, of taste of what we're going to spend forever doing, which is blessing God for his eternal salvation given to us his children as an inheritance. And when you think about worshiping God for an eternal inheritance, Peter outlines, really in, in his doxology, he outlines uh, five things for us. Uh, these, this is an outline uh, given by Peter, but expounded on by the, uh, in Dr. John MacArthur's study through uh, first uh, Peter. This is a John MacArthur outline. Give credit to whom credit is due. That guy is awesome. Awesome speaker, but the first, first, there are five things, and, and uh, first is the source of our inheritance, and, and uh, second is the motive of, of our inheritance, and third is the means of our inheritance, and the fourth is the nature of our inheritance, and fifth is the security of our inheritance. Each of these really collectively should draw us to praise God. And for, first of all, the source of our inheritance, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The very fact that we're blessing God Who's the, who's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the very fact that we're adoring him and praising him indicates that he's, he's the source. God the Father is the source. God who's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the one true God, the almighty God, the, the, the God of the Old Testament, the true and living God, the only God, the God who said I am, the God who said there's no other God besides me, and, and the, 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 the one true God who came into the world in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, who, who is therefore with one with his son. I mean, that, that's the true God and, and, and who's the essence of our inheritance. And, and, and the beauty of that name, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it, it kind of sums up all the redemptive truth, all of the redemptive fooling. The God who's the source of our salvation is the God who is, who is one in essence with the Lord and sovereign Jesus, the human, the incarnate one, and, and uh, Christ, the anointed king, the one who came to redeem us. So the, the source of our inheritance is none other than, than the true God, the God who, who revealed his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, he's the source. And, and so that's to say that the salvation which we have received, he gave to us. God gave that salvation to us. And, and, and so back in verse 1, Peter says to the, to the strangers scattered... <clears throat> Uh, and, and the various countries as aliens. I mean, they were the elect, the chosen there in verse 2. And according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, God, God the Father had chosen them. And Peter reminds, us, Peter reminds his readers and, and us that we are what we are in Christ because God as the source has chosen us. It was God's choice. And, 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 and he's the source of our inheritance. He's the, God in his graciousness, God in his goodness, God in his love, God in his sovereignty has chosen you and chosen me to be the recipient of eternal salvation. Uh, can I offer him a life of praise in response to that, I wonder? Can I just praise him a little bit? Uh, so what, what was the motive? I mean, the, the second point that was motive. Why, why did he do that? The second thing is that you know, the motive. It tells us in verse 3, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, his great mercy, has begotten us again uh, to, to obtain an inheritance. And, uh, and verse 5, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It was mercy that did it. It came out of the heart of God because God has an attribute called mercy. It's one of his attributes, mercy. Titus 3, 5 says the same thing. It was by his mercy that he redeemed us and washed us. And he regenerated us. Ephesians 2 says the same in God who is rich in mercy. And even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, came after us to save us. And, and we can be thankful that the eternal God has an attribute of mercy. And well, uh, what is mercy? Well, mercy that is a word that re refers to a person's condition. A person's miserable, pitiful condition. And it focuses on the, on the condition of the individual. That's why, in, in, for example, in, in, in Mark 10... where we have blind Bartimaeus coming to Jesus and saying, out of misery and physical misery, Lord, have what? Have mercy on me. Because mercy was a reflection of a miserable, wretched, pitiful condition that, that, that Bartimaeus was in. And that's precisely the condition of sinners. We, we need mercy. We need someone to show compassion to someone uh, to, uh, toward, to, toward our pitiful, desperate, wretched, miserable condition of sinners. And... <coughs> And, and the gospel is all about mercy. And it's all about God's compassion towards people in a miserable condition. Uh, and, and, and what is the miserable condition? Well, it's being dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, it's being cursed. It's being fallen. It's uh, being deprived of the life of God in our soul. It's being naked in terms of any good thing. It's, it's that pitiful condition of the sinner damned to hell. Uh, unable to do anything good at all, unable to change the course of life by himself. It's, it's a leprosy that, that is far surpassing in the, its terrible consequence of any physical disease or physical leprosy. So here we are in this pitiful condition, pre-salvation, pitiful condition, being lost in sin, damned to hell, captive to sin, slave to sin. Our minds are corrupt, our hearts are corrupt, and deceitful, our, our desires are wicked and wretched, and in that pitiful condition, we need mercy, and that, that's God's gentle, compassionate, if you will, concern for us. And, and we might look at, 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 it, at it in contrast to grace. Mercy has to do with man's wretched, miserable condition. Grace is, has respect to man's guilt, which has caused that condition. God gives us mercy that is to change our condition. When God gives us grace, it's to change our position. Grace changes our position. One takes from us guilt for, to, to acquittal. The other takes us from misery to glory. And, and that's what's behind salvation. God looked at, at us and had a compassion. I mean, that's just wonderful. And there wasn't anything in, in, in us that was desirable in and of itself. It's just that God is compassionate. God is merciful. God's heart grieves over people's misery. That's why when Jesus came into the world, he healed people with diseases as an expression of the compassion of God. He, Jesus could have proved his deity a myriad of other ways. He could have all different, you know, all different kind of other miracles. I mean, there are many kinds of miracles he could have done, but, he did that, 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 but the ones he did demonstrated the heart of God. God is merciful. In Exodus 34, verse 6, it says, The Lord merciful, almost as if that were his name, merciful. Psalm 108.4 says, God's mercy is far above the heavens. 
In other words, it's it's it's, it's vol, vol, voluminous. It's just you, you know, it, it's it's beyond creation. It's, it's, uh, it, uh, it, it, it's enough for all conditions, if you will. And Micah seven eighteen, it says he delights in mercy. Lamentations three twenty two says it's of sure we know this. It's of the Lord's mercy that we're not consumed. I mean, the, the very fact that we're alive is mercy, mercy on our pitiful condition. And, and then for those who know and love him, his mercies are new every morning, it tells us. If you know, he gives new mercies every day. And so uh, Thomas Watson says it's God's mercy that sweetens all of our attributes, all of his attributes, all of his other ones is mercy. God's holiness without mercy and his justice without mercy would be terrible. And when, when the water was bitter and Israel drank couldn't drink it. Moses cast a tree into the waters and it was made sweet. And so how bitter, he says, how bitter and dreadful were the other attributes of God did not mercy sweeten them. God's mercy gives, he, he gives to whomever he wants to. In Romans 9, and he said, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy out of his compassion. He has chosen to be merciful to you and to me um, he, to grant us eternal salvation. He's the source. He did it out of his mercy, not out of anything that we did or deserved. Is that anyone that Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, he said this when we went through the book. He called God the Father of mercies. God is the Father of mercies. And it's a great saving mercy of, of God. It's free. It's abundant. It's eternal. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. His mercy that caused him to give us an inheritance. I mean, can we be thankful to him? Can we be thankful enough to live as if to bring glory to his blessed name? Uh, and the answer is yes, we can by his grace. But the, the greatness of that mercy is seen in the difference between what we were and what we become in Christ. And, 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 and so the source of our, our eternal inheritance is God. And his motive was mercy, to show us mercy. And, and, and what's the means? What was the means to do it? The third point in the outline will be the means. How do we appropriate this? I mean, we say God's the source. Mercy is the motive. Well, how do we receive it? How do we appropriate it? How do we make it ours? I mean, how, how does that mercy touch us? And it says according to uh, his, his, his abundant mercy. Verse 3. He, he's uh, begotten us again. Uh, sorry. Just, uh, just trying to control the, uh, the pain. Uh, mercy had to be a means to, to dispel our wretchedness. And mercy had to be a means to eliminate misery. And, and, and it, which means it was mercy who... who which, and what mercy chose was a new birth, it tells us here. So God, because of mercy, caused us to be born again, uh, to change our condition. He had, he had given us a brand new birth uh, because we were born in sin. We were born dead in sin. We were born dead in, in trespasses and sin, and we had no life in us. We were alienated from the life of God. And, and, and the, that condition of misery could not simply be touched up. You couldn't just... You know, put paint. You know, put lipstick on that pig. Uh, we, we, you know, we we'd got, we we had to be gotten again, begotten again, born all over again, and so he caused us to be born again. The prophet Jeremiah said the leopard can't change its spot, and the Ethiopian cannot change his skin, and neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. And so there's there 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 has to be a change in, in your nature, and that's what the Bible says. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And, and you become heirs of God by birth, new birth, spiritual birth. And so you're, you're an heir already, by the way, even before you're a Christian. Okay, do you know you're an heir? 
your heirs of wrath, says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, heirs of eternal flames. That's an inheritance, all right. You know, and and, and uh, that's an eternal inheritance, and it's also an inescapable eternal inheritance. But that's not a desirable inheritance. When you come to Christ, you put your faith in him, there's a, there's a total transformation as a new birth. That's what it says here, being, being, uh, being born again. Um, and, and it is a new life that replaces the old life. There's a new nature. There's a new love. There's a new compulsion, a new desire. God recreates, regenerates, gives rebirth, a marvelous truth. And verse 23 of, of, of chapter 1, Peter writes, if you've been, you've been born again, not of, not, of, not of perishable, see which is perishable, not like human birth. I mean, I mean uh, that has death built into it. You're born to die the minute you're born. Your clock is ticking. And, but when you're born again, that you're, it's imperishable seed. And it's, it's through the living and abiding word of God, it tells us there in verse 25. And, and the word was preached to you, it says. By God's grace, the word was preached. You know, we, we heard the word. God activated faith in our life. And we believe and we were born again by an imperishable seed which will never die. And that's a new birth. You have, we have new life. And the discussion that... that, that comes really clear if you want when we be John 3 I'm not going to I was going to take a turn there but we don't have time John chapter 3 the story of Nicodemus yeah, he's a ruler of the Jews he was a man of the Pharisees there in John 3 highly esteemed member of the Sanhedrin respectable respected rabbi leading scholar actually uh, he was a Phariseeist legalist who had no doubt it externalized his religion and was living by an outward code and he, 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 he had come about as far as you could in, in the Judaistic system, and, 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 and he, had, he had come as far as you could in a religious orientation. And he was a very religious man, eminently prominent as a teacher of, of that religion, mature, able to dispense the truths and its traditions to others. And he, he comes to Jesus, and he says to him in verse 3, Jesus says to him, unless one's born again, you can't see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. I mean, you know, what he said to Nicodemus is, as far as you've come... As old as you are, as much as you know, you've got to start all over again. And, and I'm sure in the mind, of, the mind of Nicodemus, he thought was, I mean, I mean so something like this. Well, I, I know so much and I've experienced so much. And I'm so deeply entrenched in, in Judaism. Uh, and, and my com comprehension is so far reaching. And yet there's something missing. I wonder what he's going to tell me to add to my life. What's he going to tell me? To, should I get up an hour earlier or stay up an hour later? Should I read my Bible through two more times a year? I mean, what, what's, what's he gonna, Jesus going to tell me to do? And Jesus, in effect, says, uh, don't add anything. You dump everything you know in life. You dump it all. Start over again. You shed it all. Get rid of it. And in fact, Jesus said that, you know, talking to the, to, the, to the Pharisees, he said that prostitutes who were, more, uh, who were irreligious were more, more and immoral the prostitutes were closer to the kingdom than the Pharisees were. So the prostitutes didn't have any religion to shed. Nicodemus had religion to shed. And, and he was in a group that believed that you were saved by works. And, and that's a curse. And Jesus was saying to him, in effect, start all over again. Be born all over again. And, and that has to do, that's what God has to do in your life. In the life of every sinner, he places his mercy upon the sinner 
And that's what salvation is. It's a new birth. And you get a new nature, a new heart, a new spirit, a new love, a new power that, that results in a new walk and, and new obedience. And, and that's what it is. Um, but how? How did Nicodemus hear that you're to receive that? How, how does the new birth take place? And, and well, the, the whole emphasis of the gospel record, obviously, was, it was not giving, given its focus here to Nicodemus. Uh, but enough was said. In 3.14, Jesus you know, was, was drawing from Numbers 21 an illustration that Nicodemus knew well. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. And, and Nicodemus, that's how you receive the new birth. You look at the Son of God who's lifted up, and you believe in him. And by believing him, the new birth occurs. And, and he used an illustration, again, that Nicodemus understood there in Numbers 21, the children of Israel were murmuring. They're sinning against God tremendously. And God sent serpents into the tent, biting people. They were dying. And, and they cried out, oh, you know, God, we're, we're, we're sinners. And they, uh, we've been unfaithful and godless. And, 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 and Lord, we're, you know, crying out, we've sinned, we've sinned, we've sinned in great shame. And, and they acknowledged this was the judgment of God, justified judgment of their sin. It's just that we should die for our sin. And then God said, all right, put up a pole in the... In the in the middle of the camp, put a snake on it. And whoever looks at that serpent will be healed. That simple. And, and so God provided a means to deliver from the snake bites. But it, it, it was a turning from the sin. We were sinning, Lord. And it was a turning and acknowledging that God had lifted up a means of deliverance. I'm turning from my sin, and I acknowledge that, God, you're providing this means for my deliverance. And they were delivered. And Jesus said, that's how you're saved, Nicodemus. When you look at the Son of God hanging on that cross, that's how you're saved. You accept what he's done for you on the cross. If you want a new birth, turn from your sin. And your heart's saying, we've sinned. Acknowledge it. And, 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 and uh, look at the means which God has, has lifted up to bring you deliverance. This time it's not a wooden pole or any kind of a pole, but a cross. And it's not a snake, but it's the Son of God. And it was a turning from, the, from sin to, to the Savior. And, and the deliverance was not physical deliverance from snakes, but a spiritual deliverance from the snake, Satan, in the garden, the serpent. Nicodemus had to acknowledge that the religion which made up his life was nothing but a snake bite, which he needed healing from. And so how does one come to know this new birth? By looking at the Son of God lifted up on the cross and believing in him. And Jesus cut at the very core of Nicodemus' self-righteousness and said, in effect, what you need to hear, that we are begotten again through faith in Christ. That's the new birth. So Peter says that the means by which we receive the mercy of God, which God gives us this internal, eternal inheritance, is the new birth. And the new birth becomes ours through faith in Christ. He says we're born again to a li living hope, lively hope, living hope, by or through the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Bible has so much to say about it. And, you know, John 1, 13, it, it, it says it's, it's, it's the will of God, not the will of man, that you're saved. 
as many as received him, delegated the, the power, the authority to become the sons of God, even to believe in his name, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. God's will. John 1, 13. And in John 3, the, it, it's, it was the work of the Holy Spirit also, Jesus said, the regenerating washing of the word. It changes the man by giving him a new nature, makes him a whole created creature. James, James says we, we become the first fruits among his, his, his uh, creatures, a new creation, a new birth is irreversible, by the way. The new birth is eternally, gloriously, triumphant, unchanging. That's what God wants to do in the life of one who places his, places his whom he places his compassionate mercy on. Um, I'm going to skip a couple quotes I hear. The, the, the result of, of, of uh, they're, they're, they're in verse 3, um, the result of the regeneration, uh, the, the result of is we are born again to a living hope, a living hope. Um, and and w what does he mean by this? Well, it, it's a hope that it, it's perpetually alive, a hope which is equally, uh, a quality of life. And, and see, what is it? it's in contrast to the hope of men is why he says it which is always a dying, a dead hope. Uh, all hope that men and women have uh, in, in other than Jesus Christ is a dead or dying hope. The world only knows dying hope. And the best, all the hopes and dreams of men will die. They, they, men will die, and their hopes die with them. If they, if, you know, if, they've di if they haven't died long before, that's what the Scripture says, if in this world only we have hope, we're of all men most what? Most miserable. So... You're, you're a miserable person if your only hope is in this world because it will die when you die. And they all die. Death cuts the nerve of, of, of all hope. And so, but we have an undying hope and we have a living hope, a hope that never dies, a hope that comes to, to a complete and final and glorious eternal fulfillment. That's our hope. And as Peter says in, in well, 2 Peter 3.13, we're looking at that new heaven and the new earth which righteousness dwells. That's our, our hope, an eternal hope. And it's the hope that, that uh, sustains us. It's the hope that God and his wonderful grace through his marvelous promise will fulfill. And that's, that's what causes uh, even Paul to say, for me to live as Christ uh, and to die is, is what? It was gain. And, and so how, how can it be gain to die? How can that possibly be true? Because then our hope becomes reality. There's no more faith. When you die, there's no more faith. It's reality. It's reality. And, and, and again, death is gain because we gain the unreserved full fellowship and service that God designed for us. And, and to die is gain. And we gain the perfection of eternal holiness, eternal perfection, eternal righteousness, freedom from sin. I mean, to die is gain because we gain the, the royalty, the honor, the glory of heaven. We gain the pleasures that, that are at thy right hand forevermore, it tells us in Psalms. Um, back, back here in verse 3, it says, what's given us that hope? Well, verse 3 says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of the dead, from the dead. It means the means of our receiving this inheritance is the new birth, which which gives us this living hope, and, and the coming out of the coming of that inheritance and a hope is built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. John 14, verse 19, he, Jesus said, "Because I live, you shall also live." 
you shall live also. I think that's what, because I love you, you shall, you shall live also. I'm the resurrection and the life. And it's a wonderful thing. I mean, he proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And he says, well, whosoever believes in me shall never die. Talking to Lazarus' sister. And, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, that great resurrection chapter says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. And even if you hoped in Christ in this life and that was it, you're damned. But Christ came through the grave, took the key, unlocked the door of the treasure house of hope. The resurrection of Christ then is the crown and atoning work. And he shows us that in his death and his, that canceled the sins of the world. He satisfied the righteousness of God. He conquered death. And he is our hope. It's a living hope. And he came out from among the dead to give us that same incorruptible life that we might have a living hope, a hope that never dies. All of that is ours through the new birth, through regeneration, through the transforming power of God. So a fourth point in our outline, uh, we, we, we have the inheritance then that, that's, that the source of the inheritance is God, God's the source. And, and the motive that God had for that is mercy, second point. And, and, and the means of, of, of that uh, inheritance for us is the new birth. And there's a nature to it, and it's wonderful, verse 4, nature being the fourth point. He says, we will, through the new birth, obtain the inheritance, which is three things. The inheritance is three things. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it fades not away. It's unfading. And, and it causes me great joy to know that we have an inheritance, which, first of all, is imperishable, an imperishable inheritance. Uh, not, it basically means not corrupt. It's not subject to passing away. It's not liable to decay or passing away. Good morning, Miss Stevens. We're, we're in First Peter chapter three, oh, chapter one. I'm sorry, maybe. <laughs> uh, it, you know, but our, our inheritance is not subject to passing away. It's not liable to decay or. And beyond that, it's, it's been used. It's a very interesting meaning of also for this word that not passing away or imperishable. It, 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 speaks, of, it speaks of being uh, something that was unravaged, had never been ravaged by an invading army. Unravaged by an invading army. You look at Israel today, all that they've gone through. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great thought. You know, when, when, when they, you go back to the Old Testament, you remember that when God gave to Israel their inheritance, their inheritance is the land of Canaan. It is the land of Canaan. And, and the land of Canaan was the inheritance of Israel. And he says, I'll give you this land, the land that flows of milk and honey and so forth. And then they, they then had this earthly inheritance. But many, many times that earthly inheritance, Canaan was plundered by invading armies. Plundered by, by enemies, ravaged by enemies. And we just you know, remember November the 6th, how, what happened. And it's still happening. But the, in the city alone, Jerusalem was devastated. It had been leveled at least 27 times, according to historians. 27 times that city had been leveled to dust. That's what it's so many layers upon layers. They just kept building on top of that. But there's a sense in which the, 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 that, that would enrich the meaning for us that, that the Old Testament inheritance, the land of Canaan, and earthly inheritance given Israel was plundered and ravaged and devastated and destroyed and leveled. But we have an inheritance that will never be ravaged or plundered or devastated. It's imperishable. A fortune that can't be spent. 
and it's, it can't be diminished. It's a treasure that can never be taken, stolen, robbed, or plundered. And that's what Jesus had in mind when he, when he said in Matthew 6, that lay up your treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and the thieves don't break through and steal. You know, uh, one of the things our, our, that our, our, our country had offered to other countries was a safe harbor for gold. A lot of countries store their gold at our central bank. Well, a lot of those countries are taking their gold back out. They aren't storing it here anymore. I've been watching that recently. It tells me something. But you know, ever since, ever since our country froze all of Russia's assets, took their gold, that was in our, we, were, we took their gold. Ever since they saw our country could do that, things have changed. I'm sorry, I need to get in a political thing. But we have an inheritance so Jesus said, Matthew 6, if it's in heaven, it's safe. It's safer than being in, in, the, in the central bank in America. It's safe. I mean, uh, heaven is, is uh, it's imperishable. And, and, and uh, I mean, we, well, all that we have, our treasure, I mean, you, you have, you know, the thieves can break through and steal. Uh, you, maybe you, you, I mean, you think, I mean, you, you've got your treasure over here and over there. You've got your goods. You've got your bank accounts. You've got your bonds. You got your stocks, you got your certificates, or whatever. I mean, if you're storing up guns, you got your guns. You got, you know, you got your, you know, I got, you know, 500,000 rounds of this type of ammo, whatever I have, which I have. You have those things. I'm sorry, I go. My mouth's too, saying too much. But you ha we have these things, but they're perishable. And, and what, what's going to, you know, what's going to save it? I mean, if, if it survives until I die, I mean, for everything we have, it survives till we die. It, it's all going to perish then when we die because we won't be able to claim any of it, take it with us. And all the people that we love, or when we're gone, they're going to fight over it. Uh, I mean, I where my dad died. Again, I don't want her too much, Gail. Uh, my dad died. I sold my brothers and sisters. I don't want anything. I don't want, any, I don't want a dead man's pocketbook. You guys can have it. Figured. I don't, and it was has been my my opinion of that inheritances. But other people, if that's yours, fight for it, get it. But uh, but even if uh, people in your family get whatever you saved up when they die, the next people behind them are going to get it. We can't take it with us. But the treasure that God's given us is in the is in the eternal inheritance of salvation, yet to be revealed in the last time. As our full and final glorious salvation is a treasure that will never be ravaged by an enemy. It will never be touched by an invading army. It will never be taken by a thief. It will never have moth eaten or rust corrupted. It can't be touched. And the second word there is undefiled, unstained, unpolluted by sin, evil, decay. Everything in the world is this world is defiled. We say that's so beautiful, but it's with a curse on it. It's cursed. You go out in the woods and you got thorns and, and snake bites and all kind of things that, that's cursed. Everything fails. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8. The whole creation is groaning, waiting for the adoption, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Creation stained, it's defiled, is a moral leprosy that's corrupted everything in the world. I mean everything. And, and we live in a polluted world. We breathe in this infected air. Uh, I mean, if it isn't smog, if it isn't AIDS, you know, if it isn't uh, whatever the latest uh, COVID is, if it isn't that, it's sin. 
It's sin. The world is full of sin. And, and so our earthly inheritance is defiled. And, but there is an inheritance that's not defiled. And the best of this earth is dung, Paul said. It's rubbish. It was manure to Paul. And, and that's, that's uh, not the treasure which is the righteousness of Jesus. He says in Philippians 3, 7 through 9, it's an inheritance that's not stained and not, not defiled. Anyway, anyway it's, everything we have in this life is corrupted. And even your new car will rush unless you I have one that's an aluminum car. And it'll, it'll wreck. Mine will wreck. You don't want it to rust. But everything you stash away somewhere it'll be, you know, it'll be an addiction. I mean, our, our greatest treasure could be stolen from us. It all, winds, it all winds down. It all decays. It all corrupts. But that which we have in heaven will never, can't be touched. And so where should our focus be? Where's your treasure? You know, you're storing up, up there to add to the joy of eternal salvation? Are you, or, or are you foolish enough to be pouring it into this world which is defiled? And that term unfading... It won't fade away. Peter said that when the chief shepherd appears, we're going to receive a crown of glory. It's unfading. It's a wonderful thing, something that will never fade away. And he, Peter wants us to enjoy that inheritance without the fear. So in verse 4, it says, reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved. Now, I'll have to break off here. I'm so sorry for taking the three minutes. But our eternal... Uh, inheritance is reserved in heaven for us. It's been set aside for us. It was set aside for us. Uh, and and uh, you might be afraid you can lose it, but you can't. God reserved it, has your name on it. No one can take it. Some people teach, people can take, your, take it. They cannot. And whatever you think you were before you were saved, whatever how bad you were, you're better now than you were then. I mean, it's just, and God still has a lot to do. Ain't no one. There's no one that does good in the sense not, the Bible says. Thanks for letting me share with you. Um, and the word reserve means to guard. It's guarded in heaven. God's guarding your inheritance.